Nightcast. On the edge of real and cyberspace, there's one place you can go. The Nightcast. www.knithtwise.com On the edge of real and cyberspace, there's one place you can go, and you found it. Welcome to the Nightcast, the one and only podcast that tunes tech into your way of life and lets that technology work for you. My name is Nightwise, and for the coming 60 minutes or even more, I'll be your host on this episode of the Nightcast KC0056, Best of KWTV Live. For more information and the show notes, uh, please head on over to www.nightwise.com, that's K-N-I-G-H-T-W-I-S-E.com, where you'll find the links to everything we talk about and a place to plop down your feedback. Make sure to check out the nightwise.com media feed, subscribe to this feed, and get all of the nightwise.com content, the nightcast podcasts, the greencasts, and docucasts delivered to your podcatcher, automatically letting technology work for you. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. Good old email, feedback at nightwise.com, or Twitter, twitter.com slash nightwise, or use the hashtag hash dear nightwise. Facebook, you can also join us there, facebook.com slash nightwisecom, and you can look for Nightwise on Google+. Many, many ways to get in touch with us. Hey guys and girls, how are you today? It's a very rainy Saturday afternoon here in Belgium and I decided to uh, plop myself down behind the computer for a change. So this is not going to be one of those episodes recorded on the road to give you uh, this week's episode, KC0056, bestofnightwise.com, night live, KWTV live would actually be the title, best of KWTV live. I'm kind of, you know, messing up my own brand here. So what do I have for you today? Well, today I have an excerpt for you of three interviews that I did in uh, September. I think it was September 23rd when we did our KWTV live show. If you don't know what that is, once a month, I do a live show, a four-hour live show, where we play music, interview guests, and interact with our guests in the chat room, all on nightwise.com slash nightlife. You can come along. Uh, our next appointment will be on October 21st from uh, 8 to 1 p.m., uh, from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. GMT plus 1 on October 21st. And uh, then again, we'll have interesting guests, uh, a very busy chat room, and a lot of fun. So, for those of you who couldn't attend, because, you know, time zone, spinning of the globe, or you were otherwise occupied, I can't see you uh, had anything more important to do than join KWTV Live uh, on, uh, on our airing, but that's okay. We have three interviews of the four interviews that we did for you today. So I'm going to keep this very short and very sweet. I have a beautiful lineup for you of three interesting guests talking about three interesting things. First of all, we have Larry Bushy of the Going Linux podcast, who's going to talk about Linux and what's wrong with Linux. Next up, we'll have Katie Murray of the AGP podcast coming to talk to us about Windows 8. And I also have Bart Bouchatz from BartBE.ie and also known from the Chit Chat Across the Pond session on the NoSillaCast coming to talk about a lion. So a real sliders uh, hors d'oeuvre, as the French say, a real sliders buffet for all of you Mac, Linux, or Windows using uh, technophiles out there. So let's keep this short and sweet. Let's take it 
uh, one step further. Let's dig up the recordings of the uh, recordings that we did on KWTV Live. And I'll see you on the flip side. Welcome to the digital revolution. On the edge of real and cyberspace, there's one place you can go. The Mindcast. Absolutely fantastic track by Tritonal. Sorry for cutting out the uh, audio feed on you guys over there for a second. Chat room still nice and full. Uh, as you can see, I've uh, piped through my entire desktop. The man in the top left corner there is Larry Bushy, and he's our first guest on the Nightcast today. Larry, do you hear us? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me, Nightwise? Yes, yes. The wonders of technology still brings us Excellent. back to, to the Stone Age, where we still have to say, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear each other. <laughs> Yeah. Hello, Larry. Um, it's great to have you here. It's really funny. Uh, I've got your video feed. You don't have my video feed, but that has to do with several computers and cameras here, but that's okay. The, that's viewer, right. the viewers of KWTV Live uh, see the man on the screen. This is Larry Bushy, ladies and gentlemen, one of the great podcasters, one of the great Linux podcasters, a man that is so great that he has a the in front of his name, the Larry Bushy. <laughs> Uh, and it's once again awesome to have him here on the show uh, today talking about Linux. Larry, how are you? How have you been? I have been wonderful. It's been way too long. And uh, thank you ha for having me on the show. And I'll tell you, this is the first time I have podcast video. So thank you. Okay. <laughs> We're breaking new ground. <laughs> yes. We see the uh, numbers in the chat room declining as we speak, so we might need to switch back Perfect. to audio only. That's, that's normally the way it happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Larry, um, what we are want to want to talk to you uh, today about is uh, Linux. But first, we're going to, of course, uh, situate you in the uh, ecosphere. Uh, who is Larry Bushy? What does he actually do? And what does he have to do with uh, Linux? Well, I'm just some guy off the street that knows nothing about computers. No, no. I, <laughs> I am the creator and the host of the Going Linux podcast. I have a co-host, Tom, who helps me three times a month uh, provide some assistance to listeners to the podcast who are trying to build their confidence and competence in using Linux or they're trying Linux for the first time and they just need some assistance to get over that hurdle to get away from the Windows environment or the Mac environment or to use them in a dual boot fashion. But one way or another, they're looking to us, Tom and me, for some help. And we answer listener questions. We uh, delve into some topics about Linux or Linux applications or just how to use your computer more effectively to get things done. Um, one of the things that I always uh, wanted to, to know is uh, you uh, have been in Linux for how you have been into Linux for how long now? Oh, let's see, probably four to five years. Okay. Four uh, or five, not 45, four or five. 45 years of Linux, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he's, he's just about written the kernel when it wasn't even invented yet. It hadn't been invented, that's right. <laughs> okay, we're, we're going to cut into uh, today's topic, and it's an unusual one uh, that I have also devoted an uh, entire podcast to, uh, to actually talk about what's wrong with Linux these days. 
if we were to uh, really ask not somebody who hates Linux, but somebody who likes Linux, uh, to sum to sum up uh, just some things that you know you think is wrong with Linux or the Linux community that might be holding it back to becoming mainstream or things that are ready for improvement. Normally, if you talk to an advocate like that, it's not always uh, very um, obvious that they will give you a straight answer. But uh, I know that you you are a man of straight answers, and that's why I asked you <laughs> here today. Um, what would you say, if you just off the top of your head, would be the uh, well, I don't know, the uh, four or five things that, according to you, are actually uh, wrong with Linux? <laughs> okay, I gave some thought to this actually, and one of the things that i thought at first is and i hear this complaint a lot but i don't agree i don't agree that this is what's holding back linux so let me get those things out of the way there are a couple of things first of all i hear games for those of you who want to play games on linux go get an xbox or a wii or some game console and go play your games i i, I don't care <laughs> You know, Linux is, yes, there are some nice games for Linux. Yes, there are. But that's not holding Linux back in terms of its adoption. Among some people, maybe. The other thing I hear is lack of hardware support. Well, lack of hardware support, like printers, like displays, like mice, like keyboards, not really. I think that there is a bit of a delay for supporting new hardware, but the Linux community is pretty quick at, at creating drivers for proprietary systems where the manufacturer doesn't create those uh, drivers right away. Certainly, they're going to create them for, for Windows. But I, I really don't see much difference between the degree of support that Linux has versus the Mac has, for example. Now, the Mac's not going to support every piece of PC hardware that's out there either. You have to buy something that's Mac compatible. Same thing with Linux. You need to buy something that's Linux compatible. So I, although that may be just a little bit contributing to lack of adoption of Linux, I really don't think that that's what's wrong with Linux. What's wrong with Linux, in my opinion, is number one, marketing. And number two, the way we do go about marketing Linux. Let me talk about that for a second. Okay. First of all, the marketing that I see coming from companies like Canonical and Red Hat and even SUSE has a big focus on enterprise, meaning corporations. Mm -hmm. And those are, the, those are the people that are going to pay the bills. And so it's natural for them to focus on servers, to focus on corporations. Uh, not so much the desktop for the desktop user. And I really see the fact that if we were to have the funding to be able to market more aggressively like Windows markets on TV with ad placements on, um, uh, on the radio for, mm -hmm. for goodness sake. Um, 
in the newspaper, in uh, the flyers and ads that you get from the uh, from the big box stores to buy your computers, on the computers themselves. Uh, if Linux were to have the kind of money, the advertising budget, I think it would be much more adopted. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and along with number one, I think that because Linux doesn't get the exposure, uh, Linux still has, to some degree, a bit of a, uh, not so much anymore, but it has come from roots that have made it an operating system for geeks, by geeks. And so, because we're not marketing it differently, it still has that reputation among average users, among Linux users who've been using it for for a while, or even those enthusiasts who are just getting into it, they quickly realize that this is not just a server-based operating system. It is truly for the average user out there. So, but so that, that's more like an image problem. It's like Linux is for the nerdy beardy types. Right, exactly. And so we've kind of reinforced that image by not advertising it differently, by not promoting it differently. And let's face it, the people who are promoting Linux are the people who have developed it. And typically those are the computer enthusiasts, right? And those are the people who are the nerds who want to promote it because they know it's the best thing out there. And it's like beta versus VHS when the old days of, uh, you know, analog tapes, everyone knew that beta was better, but VHS got the, better publicity and it actually won out overall so the nerds lost out and the geeks lost out from the technical perspective and if we're not careful we'll end up with the same sort of thing with linux so go ahead is it um speaking about that that linux was for the the nerds and and the geeks in the beginning yeah. I remember a lot has changed over the last few years. The community has become much more open. But I yeah. sometimes pose myself the question that on the one hand, uh, on one hand, uh, the Linux enthusiasts and the geeks and the nerds want Linux to go mainstream. I mean, 2012, the year of the Linux desktop. Absolutely. We've, had yeah. it, we've learned uh, about it a few times. Yet when we see uh, distributions of Linux, like, for example, let's say um, Ubuntu, Take a more end-user-like strategy into their functionalities, like, for example, making things easier and more accessible. Suddenly, those same enthusiasts go like, yeah, you're dumbing it down, and it's not supposed to be like that. So right. there's right. a duality there. Can, can you elaborate on that? Where, did that? where did that come from, or why does that still exist? Well, it's, you're absolutely right that... When the user interface becomes simpler and easier to use, the enthusiasts are saying, well, it's too easy to use. <laughs> you know, we don't need it that dumbed down. And I think there needs to be a happy medium in there that we need to have the simple, easy to use Mac-ish, dare I say, user interface that is geared for the person who wants to have something that they can just intuitively learn to use. And yet we knew, you know, we still need behind the scenes the kinds of computing power, the, the command line, the, uh, the raw power behind Linux still there so that if someone wants it, it's there. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we have that today with things like 
Linux Mint, Ubuntu, uh, and, and many of the distributions have done an excellent job of making an intuitive user interface that does get criticism, especially Ubuntu these days, uh, because they've gone a little off the deep end. And I, I, I don't think they're so much making trying to make it easier to use as it is uh, more comfortable to use on a touch screen. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. by going in that direction, they've gotten a lot of, of, uh, of flack from the user community. But they were doing, up until that point, I think they were doing an excellent job of developing a user interface that looked easy to use and, in fact, was easy to use. And I think Linux Mint has taken up that mantra now. And uh, I think we, we're we we're on the right track. And while Linux Mint is taking up the the mantra on the easy to use, Ubuntu will get better at developing what they're developing and perhaps realize that, okay, there's the touch interface, but not everyone has a touch interface. So we really need to be able to run this on a computer that has a mouse and a keyboard as well. And so I think we'll see things change a little bit. So that kind of illustrates one of the things as well that's holding Linux back is the fact that it is very fragmented. There are so many choices, not just with Uh, distributions, but also within a distribution, what am I going to use for my desktop? What am I going to use for a window manager? What's the theme going to be? And for a new user who sees all these things coming at them from the Linux geek who wants to show it off with the wobbly windows and the spinning cube, they get very intimidated. And uh, it looks very complicated and so we need as as a Linux community to realize that some people just want to be able to push the button, turn on the computer, check their email, uh, move the window around without it wobbling all over the place, and go onto Facebook or whatever, and then shut off the computer. That's all they want to do with it. It needs to be simple and easy for those people to use if we want it to be mainstream. And I think we're getting there. It's just we've got a little ways to go. Looking, looking back at the roots of Linux, back to that, uh, that, that geek and, 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 and nerd deep core uh, Linux, Meanwhile, the chat room is going absolutely crazy, and we'll uh, get to their comments and questions in a little bit. Thank you, guys in there and girls. And they're uh, all agreeing with me, I'm sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> they are. Well, yeah, they're they're just about uh, agreeing with you. But if we take a look at the deep nerd and deep uh, geek core uh, roots of uh, things like like Linux. And we take a look at its community founders like Linus Storvalds and, and Richard Marie Stallman. Are these guys so many years into Linux still relevant? Ah, very, very good question. You know, I think they are very relevant. They are the founders. They are the GNU and they are the Linux. And they represent, uh, they have the potential to represent the uh, they can represent what bill bill gates represents for windows and what uh steve jobs represents for macintosh is the icon the personification of the icon of the operating system as its developers unfortunately and this is the other thing that i think is holding us back is the fact that 
the primary spokespeople, and I'm not talking about Linus Torvalds at this point, I'm talking about Richard Stallman, the primary spokespeople for GNU Linux are Richard Stallman and the uh, um, EFF, free, EFF. E, yeah, EFF or FSF? FSF, what, software, FSF. software, yeah. Chat yeah, room whatever. brain, please, please Google that. EFF <laughs> or FSFF. Yeah. Free software foundation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They are the spokespeople. And unfortunately, in promoting Linux, they use some very juvenile tactics. And so they resort to things like name calling and a name calling that's reminiscent of, let's say, dirty politics a dirty politics campaign fought by kindergartners. That's it exactly. It is very, very juvenile. And as a result, the people that are the most vocal who could potentially have a vast influence on the adoption of Linux are having a negative influence because people don't take them seriously. I, I remember because one of the one of the scenes of uh, Richard uh, Richard Marie Stallman, as we should say, uh, where he's actually attending a lecture. Suddenly, uh, suddenly takes off his uh, shoe, picks something off his foot, and eats it. Now mm. that video has gone around the internet many, many, many times. And if you do see them as the icons of um, of Linux, there is indeed let's call it an image problem there. But yes, yes. One of, one of the other things is that one of the, the main spokespeople uh, of, 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 uh, of Linux, Richard Marie Stallman, and the, uh, uh, thanks KD, uh, FSF, uh, Software Freedom Foundation, or uh, <laughs> Food Shoe Foundation, as it also uh, is called, um, they actually don't want that mainstream adoption. If it were up to Richard Marie Stallman, we would still, we would not be reading, uh, we would not have passwords on our laptops. We would not have any proprietary software on our laptops. We would not visit the internet, but email web pages to ourselves. And that uh, brings me to the point, are, are will those people still um, kind of steer the direction of Linux or, or steer people away from Linux? Well, right now, I'm afraid that they're steering people away from Linux. And I don't mean to tar everyone with that organization with the same stick. It is it is just a few that are driving them to this kind of behavior. But it's that kind of behavior that's driving people away, I'm afraid. Uh, and I'm frankly embarrassed uh, when, when I see some of the things that they've resorted to on their web page in an attempt – to, I, I applaud them for sticking to their their principles. They are very good at sticking to their principles, but they should never, never, never resort to the kind of juvenile tactics that they're using because that just undercuts their credibility. And any gains that they make by standing by their principles, they have lost immediately as soon as people hear the tone of their message, and hear how the message is delivered. It's a good message. It's just how the words are, are said that's the problem. And if we continue to allow that kind of behavior to be at the forefront of the promotion of Linux, I think we're doomed. I really do think we're doomed. We need, whether we use only 
open and free software or whether we take that middle ground and be more pragmatic or whether we take Linux and say it should all be Android and it should be commercial software, it doesn't matter. I think, I think we really need to turn the view of Linux to something that is a lot more mature, mm -hmm. taken mm -hmm. a lot more seriously and can be taken more seriously. So I don't know how we do that, but I do know that, in my opinion, the reason that Google has chosen not to call Android Linux, not to associate it overtly in any way with Linux. Although it's based on Linux. It is definitely based on Linux. They've chosen a brand name that they can market. And look at what they have done with it in such a small period of time. Certainly the market for the hardware is out there, but without a good operating system on that hardware, they would never have been able to uh, have it on more devices, counting phones now, not just tablets, yeah. more yeah. devices than Windows is on in such a short period of time. Indeed. I mean, we almost, uh, it's amazing to see the adoption of something that is based on Linux, just marketed in a different way. If we right. go, go back two years to uh, the little netbook here behind me, uh, when the, the netbooks came out, everybody thought this is going to be uh, the big break for Linux. And right. um, that also didn't really pull through. Why, what do you think was the reason that the netbook revolution didn't bring Linux to the forefront? Uh, well, I think there was a little bit of uh, a push to have these netbooks so slimmed down that they were actually underpowered. Mm -hmm. And that underpowered performance, first of all, gave Linux a bad reputation, or maybe that's too strong, but certainly put the wrong spin on Linux that it wasn't really working too well. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. also, I think that just throwing Linux at people without any sort of warning that it's going to be different from Windows, because they, they are expecting Windows. They, they definitely are, because that's all that they've ever seen, other than the Mac users, of course. And Apple didn't put out the netbook, so we know it's not Mac, so it must be Windows. And when they open it up and they see, okay, it kind of it looks kind of funky. It's not working right. I can't install any software. Nobody told them that it's not Windows. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, and, so there was a different expectance there of what they were going to get out of the box. Right. Poor, poor management of expectations. And to make it worse, the very first netbooks came out with uh, hampered and restricted version of Linux, I, I had my hands on one of the very first Asus, uh, was it Asus? No, yep. Acer. No, uh, yeah. one, one of them. I, I forget which one. The Asus Triple uh, E was the first one, and then uh, the Acer, Acer Aspires came out. It was an Acer Aspire that I had, and I forget what version of Linux they had on it, but it was so locked down, you couldn't install Linux software on that thing. Uh, and I know the later ones came out 
uh, a little more unlocked than that. And then they started putting Windows on it. And then Windows was way too sluggish. So then they started putting on Windows 7 starter version, which was, again, locked down. You couldn't even change the wallpaper on that version of, of Windows. But by that time, Linux had lost the leg up that it had by being on that device to begin with. So again, very poor marketing job. But let's say that uh, let's let's walk into a parallel universe where those netbooks actually had been tablets, and that mm -hmm. Linux interface on there had actually been something like Ubuntu today, which is right. well tablet friendly. It would have it would have brought us to the point where we are today, where there is a version of Linux on those tablets, and that version of Linux is called Android. So, in effect, it is the year of the Linux desktop. Or is it not? Yes. This is the second chance that most companies and most organizations and most products don't get. This is that second chance. And we have Google to thank for that. And we have the tablet revolution to thank for that. And I don't, you, I, I think I remember you saying that you had your hands on a Samsung Galaxy Tab 10 inch. Correct. Yep, 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 yep. I've, uh, I've had my hands on a Motorola Zoom, a Samsung Galaxy Tab and an uh, Asus EEE Transformer, all of them running um, Honeycomb 3.0 or 3.01. I own a Galaxy Tab 10-inch from Samsung, and I tell you, it is hands down the best touchscreen device I have ever used. And I have used a few. I have used a, a an iPad. I have used some of the early touchscreen laptops yep. that were convertible laptops and uh, android hands down the best there are some niggly little things that don't quite work the way i would i would expect them to but uh for the most part this is the device that you saw on star trek next generation <laughs> I uh, I want to round up with uh, with an interesting question that I'm going to pose to uh, all of my guests today. As we see the uh, future evolve, uh, there is a path that can be taken where our tablets or our phones will become our main computers, and that which we will dock to a keyboard and a screen, or to a larger screen to become a tablet, or to a keyboard and a screen to become a computer. Uh, we are going towards a one personal device that does it all. Is this the, will this be the big break for Linux? I think so. I, I really do think so. However, I don't think it will be docked to a keyboard. Maybe the interim version, you know, the short term version might be that. But I really think we need to get to that communicator phase, taking the Star Trek reference a little bit further, where the computer is voice recognition, voice yeah. command. And that, I think, is where if, if you look at what Google is trying to do on their phones with Android, on the tablet with Android, the searches are voice enabled. It's not perfect yet, and it doesn't apply to the entire user interface, but it's starting. Mm -hmm. That revolution is starting, and I think as we go down that path further and as voice recognition becomes better, and better and better, we will eventually get to the point where, as, as Scotty said on one of the uh, 
uh, early episodes of, uh, or maybe it was one of the Star Trek movies. Hello, Commander. Uh, um, yes, a mouse, how quaint. I <laughs> <laughs> get to the point, I, I know we've arrived, and I bet that computer will be running Linux or some successor to Linux. I really hope so. I know it won't be running Windows. That is true. <laughs> uh, do you still see in, in, in three years' time that there will be desktop operating systems and phone operating systems and tablet operating systems, or will they merge? I can't really see that far ahead. I think three years there might just still be that fragmentation. Uh, I think there will probably be some advances in the tablets, not so much advances in the uh, desktop computer hardware or even the laptop computer hardware. The phones, yes, I think there will be some advances there, and I think that the phones and the tablets might merge a little closer together, although they're very close together now. Uh, and I think we will see a lot more, especially on the phones, a lot more voice control, which will lead to voice control on the larger devices, which will lead to full-fledged computing using voice only. Uh, and I think um, it, it'll take us a little longer than three years to get there, but we'll be closer. And I think there will still in three years be the need for uh a computing device operating system for each of those platforms, phone, tablet, and computer. Maybe phones and tablets in three years will be merged, but maybe not. Okay. Larry, thank you so much for your time. It's been, uh, once again, great having you. Always a welcome guest on uh, on the, the Nightcast thank and you. on KWTV Live. Uh, for people who don't know what Going Linux is, what, where can they find you and what was the show about again? It is about, uh, let's see, what was it? Oh, Linux. And uh, it is about using Linux to get things done, learning how to use Linux, co uh, converting from another operating to, uh, system to Linux, and having us help you find your way around, navigate through the quagmire of learning anything new and helping you to do that. You can find us at our website, which is goinglinux.com. You can find us on Twitter and Identica as Going Linux. And on Google Plus, we are Larry Bushy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Google, no branding there. No brand. Google hasn't caught up to me, but if they do, I'll just change my real name to Nightwise. Yeah. Or I'll, right. I'll, I'll, I'll make it into Mike Lowry or something. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Larry, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been an honor Mike, and a pleasure having you. And uh, we hope to see you soon on Going Linux. Thank you, Larry. Thank you.
Hello, Katie Murray. Welcome to KWTV Live. We're into the second hour. It has come to the point of 10 a.m. here in Belgium, GMT plus one, where you are. It's in the dead of night here uh, in uh, Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's uh, five after one. Oh, but you are a nocturnal man, are you not? Just a little. Just yeah. a little. Just a little. Thanks for staying up for KWTV Live. Uh, as uh, you might have heard, we just had uh, Larry Bushy uh, live on the show. And his uh, even uh, the video stream of Larry we piped through was so awesome. It completely crashed camera one. So we are uh, a little bit stuck with camera two here, the eyesight cam on the iMac that's doing the production. So uh, I did have to do some reorganizing. Sorry about that. So no video stream of KD, I'm afraid, because uh, somehow Cam Twist, Ustream producer, and a couple of mixers just uh, doesn't seem to be able to handle that. KD, good to have you here. How are you? Doing pretty good. Okay, uh, Katie, what I wanted to talk to you about today, you uh, are one of the few people I know that are really into the Windows world. Uh, you are a Windows developer, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's correct. And uh, as a result of, uh, as a direct result of that, you uh, have also gotten access to uh, the Windows Developer Preview of Windows 8. I have. I have only had a chance to play with the uh, um, the virtual machine version of it, though. So I haven't. I don't actually get a chance to uh, play with the hardware. I uh, don't go to things like the build conference or that sort of thing. But I, uh, yeah, I've had a, a little bit of a play with the um, with the VM version of uh, the Windows 8 developer preview. So um, Windows has been well. Windows 7 was not that bad, but Windows has been out of the running for quite a while when it came down to innovation. Um, but now they're back. Uh, they have a complete new strategy. They they pump out betas before the developers get their hands on it, so people can play with it. Um, what did you think before we get into the technical side of Windows? What did you think uh, would uh, would have uh, sparked this new wave of innovation and and uh, uh, interacting with their user community like that uh, in Redmond? I'm not entirely sure what would have. Um what would have sparked it um it started to change about 2004-2005 um when they, i think it's it's the people that they had involved um, they've got people particularly on the developer side of windows um who have started to or of microsoft rather who have started to embrace open source and embrace sort of engaging the community at a, at a much different level um, than they did previously. Um, for a long time, Windows was very much the uh, the operating system of the corporate world um, that everybody decided to use at home because they knew how to use it at work, so they used it at home. Um, with the the advent of, of much stronger versions of um, the Mac with OS X, and as it, as it progressed through the early 2000s, I think Microsoft realized that the, the writing was on the wall. They still had a huge, huge, massive lead in the market, um, but that was not going to hold forever unless they started to, um, unless they really started to engage the community and engage the public in a different way. Um, they would eventually start to really fall by the wayside, and, and I think that was uh i think that was probably some of the some of what um, pushed them to do that mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now looking at windows 8 where would you is it a logical uh successor to windows 7 like windows 7 was a logical successor to vista and like vista was a logical successor to i don't know a Nothing. plane crash vista, yeah vista was the logical successor to anything well it wasn't it wasn't i mean it was a a um a commercial f- failure um, 
it was the the required interim step between XP and Windows Seven. I think to um, they needed the, they needed that step to sort of figure out what was going to work and what wasn't going to work with all the the new security features that they try to do. I mean, um, you know, UAC was definitely. Um, something that was going to need more attention than they were going to be able to give it in a, in a private beta, I think. So um, it caused some pain by turning it out loose on the masses and it certainly wasn't the, um, the success that they'd hoped for, I'm sure. But, um, you know, between the, the feedback from that and their, the additional time, I think Windows 7 was a much better OS. And Windows 8 is, from what I've been able to see so far, Windows 7 with the new Metro interface on top. It doesn't look like the, the guts or the internals are as um, as overhauled as somebody might originally think if you just sort of look at the, the interface. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, what is the big special thing about Windows 8 at the moment? So there, I think there's two big changes with Windows 8. The first and most evident is the um, the new UI. So the, the old start menu, by default anyway, is gone uh, and it's been replaced with the new Metro interface. The, that's the, the name of the, the uh, tile-based interface that resembles uh, the Windows Phone 7. Um, and that's the, the biggest sort of obvious um, change in Windows 8. So when you first get your hands on it, um, or in the case of people using a mouse in a VM, get your first first get your mouse on it. You're getting this tablety interface, um, and um, that is the, the the first sort of most obvious change. The other big change is under the hood. Um, they have rejigged the um, the application to or the OS to actually compile to ARM processors as well, which is the the type of chips that you find, um, like Apple's A4 and A5 chips are, are based on an ARM uh, processor. Um, so getting out of um, getting out of the Intel and AMD only world and moving to um, to a more uh, a more generalized environment. So uh, once again, we see that merging between uh, tablet and Windows uh, operating system. So how do you how do you operate uh, between a, a tablet and a PC operating system? How do you operate this thing? I mean, you you get it in your hands and you get this Metro interface. For people who haven't seen it yet, what does it look like? Uh, well, I mean, for those of anybody who's seen Windows Phone Seven, it looks like um, it looks like Windows Phone Seven. Um, uh, it is the the tiled Metro interface. So instead of having um, icons on the desktop like we have gotten used to with the, you know the desktops in in Windows and Mac and Linux and um, even in iOS, the, um, the 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 Metro interface is tiles, which are in essence, large icons which display information on them as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you get kind of like a dashboard uh, as a start menu, right? Yes, it's sort of like a cross between a dashboard and a start menu. So it's definitely the the launching place for your applications, but the uh, the icons which you can launch your applications with are also have the ability to display information we be it something simple like you know the number of unread emails or it could be um, on the the larger tiles could be displaying a, a stream of um, tweets from a particular list on twitter okay like for example the kwtv hashtag that uh, people are using right now to to talk about this show on twitter twitter would be on your well is it your desktop or is it your start menu or is it both it 
exactly. It it is sort of both. Um, in that it's if particularly if you're going to be using it on a in a tablet form factor, it would probably be your desktop most of the time. Um, the um, the Metro interface allows you to to launch apps that are built against the the new Windows runtime, the NRT, uh, which is the the um, the sort of layer uh, of you know API that they've put together for Metro. Um, but Windows 8 will also run you know full blown regular Windows applications as well. It'll just switch you out of the Metro interface to run those. So something like Photoshop will still run just fine on Windows 8. It just doesn't run in the in the Metro layer. Uh, so it's almost like they've taken Windows 7 and added this Metro layer on top, which has not only the, the, the dashboard with the tiles and everything, but also is a layer to run uh, applications. So there's actually two versions of IE that will ship with Windows 8, at least that's what it looks like right now. One of them will run in the Metro layer, and that one has no Flash, no Silverlight, no plugins of any kind. It's there. It's an HTML5 sort of browsing interface, much like the browser um, on the uh, iOS devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there will also be a sort of full, in air quotes, full version of IE that runs in the outside of Metro, which will still have Flash and still have Silverlight and all those things in it as well. It's really strange because they, I, I think you also mentioned that they built it for both Intel and ARM processors. So let's just say I've got, well, I don't know. Can I have a desktop with an ARM processor? I, I don't know. Yes. Well, you can, okay. You, you will, yeah, yes, you will. Oh, so the, okay. assuming there's a manufacturer out there who wants to build a desktop with an ARM processor, um, it, you know, there's one, sort of one version of Windows 8, or at least that's what it looks like. It'll be sort of a, you won't have to choose. You know, you're, if you buy an ARM device, it'll come with you know Windows 8 on it. If you buy an Intel device, you can still have it preloaded with Windows 8. But that um, means I'm not that... sure whether like, if you buy a retail box of Windows 8, I'm not sure whether there'd be a, like separate install C- DVDs for the different CPUs. Yeah, but if because if we take a look at the tablet world and the mobile phones, I mean, installing things, installing an operating system will become a lost art because it's, it's when you buy it, it's on there and you can't get it off, or at least not without rooting or God knows what. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to do like what you do with a with an Android device or with a with a, an iOS device and jailbreak it, I guess, if you wanted to to root it and install a different OS. But I mean, I guess presumably you would be able to do that with a Windows 8 tablet as well. If you jailbroke it, you would be able to you know wipe it and install Linux if you wanted to. It's amazing. So uh, people who go to the store now have to choose if they buy an application whether or not that's going to run on ARM or on Windows 8. Um, or or yeah, on Intel, I, sorry, on ARM or on Intel. I don't think it's going to be a decision the consumer is going to make for the most part. I mean, if you're building a desktop, that probably gives you an additional choice. You know how it can choose either Intel or AMD or ARM or you know any of the, the. I mean, ARM is sort of almost a category of processors as opposed to Intel and AMD, which are brands. Yep. Um, so I guess if you're building your own machine, you may now have the option of choosing an ARM processor over one of the sort of standard x86 or x64 processors. But um, I don't think the average consumer will care or know uh, What's what inside. Kind of CPU is inside. But he will, he will uh, notice when he'll, he'll go out and buy software. For example, if you buy yes. Photoshop yeah. or something and you have an ARM computer... It's not going to work. Yeah, so that'll be yeah. That that's what I'm not clear on at this point is whether um, an executable built to run on Windows, if it matters whether it's an Intel or an ARM CPU, or if it's built for Windows, it runs on Windows regardless of the underlying CPU. 
um, it's unclear sort of at this point. I know, I'm pretty sure the, um, the anything that's built to run on Microsoft's .NET framework would not need to be rebuilt. Uh, although, I can't say that for certain. So it's not the same thing than, than with the PowerPCs and the Mac and the Intels, where some PowerPC applications did run on the Intel Macs, but Intel applications didn't run on PowerPC Macs. Yeah, I mean, the... What what Apple did to make the PowerPC apps run on Intel is they basically inserted a layer between the application and the OS, which was called Rosetta, and that essentially did the necessary translation between the um, the machine instructions for um, PowerPC and the machine instructions for Intel. So if Microsoft has put something similar in place to allow the, the necessary instructions to be translated for ARM, um, then things should just run. If that layer doesn't exist, then yeah, I can imagine some some sort of um, you know, recompilation would be needed. It's it's going to be a very interesting uh, playing field if you look at it. Now, we talked about the ARM and the Intel. We talked about Metro. What else is really new? That's a good question. I mean, those are the two things I've really focused on as far as um, the, the big, huge pieces. Um, with Metro comes some additional things like um, what they call WinRT, which is this new Windows runtime layer. Um, they're putting um, essentially a new API layer between the applications and, and Windows, much like they've done with, um, with .NET. Um, idea, the, uh, the idea behind it to, to make it easier for... Um, uh, for people to to build applications that run on that metro um, metro interface, um, but that's you know just it's a new it's a new layer provides new functionality would will allow you to get to things like um, tablet type sensors like accelerometers and and GPS and that sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so we're gonna look at uh, so we're gonna have if I can. If I can make a comparison uh, to to the previous interview, we'll have kind of a merge between a Linux desktop and an Android OS in one. Yeah, exactly. So the that's the I think the one big difference between uh, you know we're seeing lots of comparisons between the the Windows tablets that were distributed at the build conference and the um, and, and the iPad and the Android tablets. Um, but I really look at the the Windows 8 tablets as a bit of a different beast. Um, the the Android tablets and the iPads that we've seen so far are very much um, com- consumption devices for the most part. They are you know used for people to be able to get access to data that exists in other places and not as much for you know creating things. Um, it, that's changing with the iPad too, and there's definitely some some additional sort of you know, things like podcast production, you know, apps and, and things like that that you can get. And um, I know I, Apple's definitely doing more to to make that device a bit more powerful and, and push the uh, push the boundaries on it a little bit. But um, what Microsoft, I think, is trying to do is is really merge that um, merge that or blur that line as much as possible. You'll be able to have your your Windows 8 tablet with you and and use it like a tablet while you're out and about, and then bring it home, stick it in a dock, have it connect to a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse, and use Photoshop, full blown Photoshop, on your desktop. 
uh, you know, without switching machines. Yeah, but that that was my that, that was uh, something that Motorola aired at uh, one of the big tech conferences last year. You know, this little phone that could slide into a screen and it became a tablet, and a tablet could slide into a dock and it became a desktop. Now that's all good, but you know, in order to run Photoshop. Uh, or something, I'll need uh, a pretty powerful processor, a processor that is much more powerful than the one that is currently in my tablet. So uh, how is that going to be done with the same machine? Can you dock towards another processor, for example? Or are we just docking the operating system or are we docking the entire device with the processor with it and the battery? The way I see it, and then like I see, is I think the the Windows tablets are going to be a different sort of type of device with a different um, a different target market than the the iPads and the Androids that we're seeing now. Um, they probably, I mean, I can imagine them probably being larger, heavier devices in a lot of cases than um, than the iPads and the Android tablets that we're seeing today. Closer to in in a lot of cases, something like uh, on Air. Um, so they're intending to be sort of larger, bigger devices. So they're not going to be as sleek, I would imagine. I wouldn't imagine they're going to be quite as light. I know the ones that they gave away at the build conference were like Core i5, yeah, but essentially uh, netbook type devices. So yeah, but uh, yeah, but a, a Core i5 is nice. Uh, it's kind of in the middle. Well, it's a nice. It's nice on a desktop the server, and the house here is running Core i5. But, you know, it's hooked up to a power grid, and that power grid is hooked up to a nuclear reactor somewhere. So uh, I don't think that battery will be an issue there. But if you take that Core i5 processor and put it in a tablet, it will eat the battery. If it's running at full speed, absolutely. Um, I suspect we're going to see things built into some of these processors, which will allow them to, much like laptop processors um, have been doing for years, sort of step down um, from full performance, if you want, while you're while you're on battery to help conserve battery life. So we we are. Intel's had speed step technology in their their mobile CPUs for years. Yeah, and everybody turns it up to the maximum because they think their their device is slow, slow, and then it eats the battery. Yeah, so it's it's definitely something that's going to be a, a balancing act, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can imagine people would be doing the same with, with an iPad. If they could turn up the processor speed on an iPad, I can't imagine that a lot of people would do that. I there's there, there are things that you can dock, as I said. I mean, let's say that we have this one device to rule them all. Once, let's say we have this tablet with Windows 7, uh, sorry, Windows 8 on it. So uh, we dock it to uh, our, I don't know, screen and keyboard. Uh, so uh, we just use the, uh, the, the processor power and, the, uh, and the, the desktop that's on there or the, the operating system that's on there. But alternatively, you can also, if technology like Thunderbolt, thank you, Thunderbolt, not Thunderbird. Thunderbirds are the guys with the suits and the flying machines. That's not it. Uh, the guy, the if you take Thunderbolt, you could actually dock a tablet to a desktop, and just have the desktop processor, which is faster, access the uh, operating system. Can can Windows handle that? Be transferred from from one uh, hard. Basically, you 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 just dock the hard drive with the OS on it. You think uh, Windows Eight is going that way? Going that way, possibly. Is it going to be like that in the initial release? I doubt it. Um, I don't think we're going to see that kind of um, that kind of functionality in the in the first go around. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that in the future. 
Okay, uh, talking about first impressions, uh, you've played with the VM. Uh, speed, interaction, how how was it? Is it nice to interact with? Is it smooth? Do you, do you, in in I a remember, VM, it's brutal, I to rem- be honest. Oh, okay. I remember uh, going to Windows XP and, and having this wow moment, or, or going from Windows 95 to, well, Millennium, not really a good example, but going from, from let's say, Windows 98 SE to Windows 2000 and having this wow moment that you basically see things that are new and that have changed and that kind of triggered you uh do you still think that those wow moments are there or is it a little bit more of the same i think it's a lot of the same i mean i run a windows phone as well so i've sort of seen and done the metro interface for the last year so it's not a, a big huge new thing for me it was probably a little bit more when i first got the phone um I think it will be a bit of a, a shock to the system for some people when they when they first you know start up a Windows PC when they if when they start shipping it on the desktop um, and having this Metro interface pop up and they, it's not something they've seen before. Um, I think that'll definitely be a, a shock to the system for some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it's going to be in, entirely new. But somebody who has done uh, who's who's done a Windows phone is going to go like, hey, I I, I recognize this. Yes, absolutely. It, it it looks and feels very, very much like the the Windows Phone interface, um, and you can switch back to the. Wait, you can, I think you can turn Metro off. I'm not 100 percent sure. There's the, the, one of the um, one of the um, the icons on the on the Metro interface is desktop, and you can definitely switch out to the um, the old Windows old in air quotes um, Windows Seven style desktop. What I've uh, always found strange, and this is something that we probably uh, will be talking to Bart Bouchot about a little bit later on, is that um, you get tablet interfaces on desktop computers. Uh, Lion is putting that in. Uh, Windows 8 is surely going there. Isn't it hard? I mean, if if I take a look at a small screen, I want big icons. That's that's normal because, you know, then I can easily hit them with my finger. But when I've got like, I've got a, seven, a 27 inch here behind me, and I have big icons on there. I'm I'm gonna have a I'm gonna strain my arms swiping my mouse from A to B just to 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 get somewhere and and click that icon. Is that gonna be practical? On a 27 inch screen, I don't know. Um, mouse acceleration comes to mind as something that might be necessary. Um, I can see the the. Um, the, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. Um, anyway, when you, you when you can be able to sort of scroll between the um, the different sort of panels or, or areas on a Windows 8 desktop, I mean it's it's much like the uh, the iOS device and stuff where you can sort of click and drag, and if you if you flick it quickly, it will move further. Um, yep. The same Kinetic kind of thing. Scrolling. So I mean, yeah. you are going to be able to move across large areas fairly quickly i think without having to you know have a, a 12 foot wide tracking area for your mouse yeah uh, tailblazer here in the chat room says uh, that you can also completely remove the uh, the metro ui really well there you go um and uh, and uh, we oh, got he says you can't yeah you you can switch out of it but you can't completely remove metro so yeah okay. there you go is there uh does does Windows 8 still use the classic BIOS or are we going with the same boot thing EFI boot thing that uh, the Mac uses? Uh I don't know. I haven't been able to get the uh, a detailed enough spec on the uh, the Samsung's that they shipped. 
Okay, um, kind of rounding up here, uh, I want to uh, ask you, as as a developer, you have experience with this. Um, do you think that the beta that we're seeing right now is going to be something that resembles the finished product? Resembles? Absolutely. Um, I don't think we're going to see any massive changes in you know the metro ui or or the you know the 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 look and feel of it um i think most of the next year will be spent helping to build up um applications and helping to build up um what's coming along with the the devices and and letting the uh, the manufacturers get the get the hardware in place uh and bug hunting big you, time to try and make the the initial release as stable as they can has microsoft already uh, announced a, a shipping date no, they have said second half of 2012 is, is, is all we know at this point. Okay, so I'm going to round up with the same question I, I, I uh, asked Larry. Where do you see us uh, in about, let's not say five years, but two years from now? Where do you see the, 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 the hardware space and, and the OS space go? Will it still have desktops and laptops and tablets or, and phones, or are we going to merge? Yes and yes. We will still have all of the separate devices. We will still have, you know, notebooks and we will still have desktops, which are independent machines. We'll still have, you know, smartphones, which are separate machines. Um, but we, I think what we'll start to do is see uh, emerging both on the, the smaller and larger tablets. Um, so the, you know, the 10, 11, 12 inch tablets and slates, which are going to start to take over the functionality of laptops. And we're going to start to see, you know, six, seven, eight inch tablets which will take over maybe not completely take over but certainly help to merge with the the smartphone space as well so the the term phone and tablet netbook laptop and desktop are gonna meld together yeah but i think i two years i don't think is going to be enough time for us to see all of those things go away um i can see us getting to a point in um in uh, i don't know maybe five ten years where we're not going to have the traditional laptop or notebook at any point um we're going to see um you know a tablet that i think will dock into some kind of desktop docking station like like we see with laptops today and it won't have a physical keyboard um i want to round up with a question from the chat room something that i read on twitter uh sorry on google plus as well uh, basically stating that with the new uh, BIOS or the way uh, Windows 8 is going to uh, take, take going to handle the BIOS, dual booting into Linux will no longer be possible. Do you think that would, that will be a fact, or uh, are we just looking at uh, a developer version uh, preview lockdown uh, policy? Yeah, I mean, this is a question about the the hardware certification tool, and I I really don't know what's going to happen with this space. Um, if you have, um, I've seen this in a, in a couple of other places where they're where they're starting to get, um, you know, essentially software in the in the pre boot sequence of the operating system, which will detect, um, you know, whether this OS is the the one that shipped on the device, and and whether you can choose. Uh, whether whether people are going to have the choice to going forward, um, I can see manufacturers certainly wanting to be able to lock a device down to a particular operating system. Apple, in particular, comes to mind. Um, I think if they could stop people from dual booting into Windows or Linux, they'd be very happy to do that. Um, at the same time, you know, I I think the the pushback would be pretty loud and pretty vocal um, if people were sort of had their devices taken away from them. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, any final thoughts? Is this going to be the um, uh, a worthy competitor to uh, OS X Lion? Is it going to be a worthy adversary to the Linux distributions that are out there? And is it going to be a, a worthy successor of, of the very popular and actually not that bad, according to me, Windows 7? Yes, I think it's going to be a, a very similar uh, in the enterprise space. I would not be surprised to see them ship an enterprise version of Windows 8 with Metro turned off by default somehow. Yeah. Um, I also think it's going to be a yeah, I, I, you know, a worthy competitor in the in the desktop client operating space. Um, it, I, to some degree, I think we're going to see a, a lower uptake of Windows 8 than we have seen of Windows 7. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of caution around um, uh, you know people moving to such a a different um, you know sort of a way of interacting with their computer. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see Microsoft maintaining sales of Windows Seven and Windows Eight potentially at the same time for uh, some some period of time until people start to adapt to it a little more easily. Um, and I think I can also see, uh, you know, a future where uh, Windows nine or Windows ten, whichever you know, one of the the next couple of versions of Windows is going to be a, a a more complete solution. I suspect we're going to find uh, as people start to use Windows eight for in real life um, that that there's going to be some things that just aren't quite there yet. Uh, Microsoft is pretty notorious for uh, having a, a version of an operating system which you know, or or any of their products, which is really only super complete at version three or the third release. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're not going to do another Vista with this. I don't think it'll be that kind of. Um, people are looking at it so early now that we're not going to see. Um, um, I don't think we're going to see the the Windows Vista debacle um, because it's going to be. Um, that it's going to be a um, sort of something that people have seen and stuff for so so early on, um, but I don't think it's going to get the um, the love that Windows Seven has seen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, Keith, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it's been very enlightening, and uh, we're gonna we we have a clip of Windows Eight on a tablet, which we're going to show a little bit later on, so people in the live stream we'll get uh, an approximation of what it is that is uh, going to be shipped um are you going to get it uh, when it's out uh, i can definitely see me um getting a windows 8 tablet device um my uh, my only current portable machine is on its last legs and i'm going to need to replace it with something and i've been debating for some time what that's going to be um you know jumping back and forth between whether i i stick with a windows you know machine or whether i go to a macbook air or some kind of other device so um it's definitely in the running and uh, we'll we'll sort of see once they uh, once they release what the pricing looks like and uh we'll uh, we'll have to see Okay. Keith, thank you for coming on. If people want to find you, where can they do so? Um, best place to track me down probably is uh, just on Twitter, K- uh, KD Murray on Twitter, uh, or at the uh, as co-host at the Aussie Geek Podcast, uh, AussieGeekPodcast.com. True, true, true. You also have a blog that you frequently visit or even write on? 
I, I occasionally write on uh, the last uh, year and a half or so has been uh, rather infrequent, but yes, occasionally I get something posted up on my blog at uh, kdmurray.net. Okay. Hey, Keith, thank you very much for coming on to the Nightcast uh, and on KWTV Live. <laughs> and, Thanks for uh, having me on. It's uh, been great having you. A lot. Of, I hope you have a lot of fun with Windows 8. We're going to listen to some music as in half an hour we will be talking to Bart Bouchatz from Ireland, a Belgian living in Ireland. Imagine that. And uh, Katie, thank you for coming on, and uh, we hope to see you soon. Goodbye. Thanks for having me on, boys. Bye. that track sledgehammer it's old and so am i but that's not okay who else is old is bart bouchatz was well, not really old but he's with us today hey bart welcome to kwtv live good morning uh, maybe i am old i don't know i don't know how old are you anyway or are we not supposed to ask a podcaster that ever oh you're like i'm not female it's fine 31 31 okay that that makes me old really at 37 so oh okay now i feel old <laughs> never mind <laughs> oh, uh, first of all uh i want to thank you for coming on kwtv i have uh you're the third guest in a row that is an awesome podcaster that is a well-known internet persona the bart bouchats also known from the nocilla cast podcast and the chit chat across the pond and a, a fellow belgian at that um it's great great to have you here thank you for coming it's my pleasure it's slightly odd, two two Flemish Belgians chatting away in English, but okay. Yeah, yeah, it's that. But I think if we were to chat away in Flemish, it would be very hard for the people in the chat room uh, to understand what we would be uh, talking about. I suppose it would shrink the audience slightly. Yes, yes, it would uh, kind of uh, reduce the target audience to only the Flems, and there are not a lot of those, are they? Are there? Well, a few million, but yeah, well, none, uh, none of the tech world. I never asked you, actually, do you speak Flemish? I do, yeah. Really? With a bit of an accent, but yes. It, that would be even weirder than this. <laughs> Strange. Well, no, I mean, I, I, was, I was four years old when we moved to Ireland, so I had actually gone to school for a year before moving. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because yes. you, you didn't, well, Flanders is not that big. You didn't live that far away, but um, from here. So, oh, you still have, oh, you still have the Flemish talk. Yeah, your name does, of course, uh, uh, betray you. Bouchots sounds like uh, some kind of a party drink. Bouchots. Yeah, well, it's not really Bouchots, is it? It's Bouchots, but Bouchots. that's not really. <laughs> it's nice to hear you go that uh, that very soft SCH that none of the uh, native English speakers can do. <laughs> yeah, which is why I've settled on Bouchots, because I can just say it's it's as if you spell B-O-O-S-H-O-T-S. Yeah, Bouchots, if you do it in, in Flemish. Exactly. Enough etymology. Great to have you on the show. Uh, for people who don't know who you are, can you elaborate who is Bart Bouchatz? Where does he come from and why is he an, uh, an internet phenomenon? 
I don't know why, but people seem to like listening to me. It's weird. Um, so let me see. I guess my main sort of podcast thing. Let me see. By day, I'm a sysadmin, uh, mainly Linux. Every now and then I get lumped into some Windows networking, which I hate, but I'm good at problem solving and Windows networking makes lots of that. Um, and then I guess my main podcast is the International Mac Podcast that I do with Stu Helm, which is a, a weekly show, uh, although you only get to hear me every second week at the moment. Um, I've had a little bit of health issues, so I've sort of halved my podcasting. So one week with Alison on Chit Chat Across the Pond, and then one week with Stu on IMP, and then I, I alternate over and back. Oh, and so we, we've got you as an extra. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do the odd uh, special appearance, as it were. <laughs> Great. So, um, barbushas.ie, that's your blog, right? Yes, and it just links to stuff like my photography. I guess photography is something else I'm quite into. So there's a link to my Flickr there. There's a link to my YouTube there. There's a link to everything about me there because no one can spell Bouchots. So if you want to get me on Twitter, etc., etc., just go to bartb.ie and everything's there. Okay. You are also, of course, a uh, not only a sysadmin with Linux, but you are also a Mac expert, if we can call it that way. Um, you've been uh, working with Apple computers for how long now? Oh, shoot. I wish I'd remember. It's quite some time. Uh, I think about 2003-ish, I sort of... Actually, no, it was about 2001-ish, actually. I was sort of, uh, without much choice, I was moved to the Mac because... I started uh, work as a postgraduate student and I wanted a new computer because the one that was on my desk was rubbish and my advisor said, well, I'm quite happy to buy you a new computer on one condition. It's going to be a Mac. Ooh. I was like, okay. I'd never even heard of a Mac. I'd been, I guess at this stage I was a Windows user who was getting cranky. I was, everything Microsoft were doing was making me a little bit more cranky all the time. And then with Windows XP and this you know, genuine disadvantage, as I call it. I was really quite ready to move, to be honest. And I had actually started using Linux on the desktop, um, which, in that case, it was Fedora 1. So mm. it was just Fedora. Proto-Fedora. Uh, Proto or Fedora Core, I think it was called back then. And I, I just, yeah, I, I guess I was ready. Um, and then I was basically given an eMac, which is like an iMac, only in white and a little bit smaller. And I was told, there you go, that's your computer. And I think it was OS 10.3 was the latest, greatest, brand new thing. Uh, and after about an hour, I was like, oh, I think I understand this. And then within a week, I was like, okay, I'm never going back. And then a few months later, Steve Jobs stood up and announced the Mac Mini. Yep. And I thought, oh, there's a good idea. I have, I mean, you know, I have monitor, keyboard, mouse, and I can take away this great big tower and put in this teeny tiny little box. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't bought anything but Mac since. And in work, I have a Mac. At home, I have a Mac. I'm a Mac user full time. Okay, so you you started at the Pro before or the post uh, Intel era? Oh, I was I was pre. I was uh, the G5 iMac. Uh, so G5 Mac Mini followed by G5 iMac followed by uh, my first Intel machine was a MacBook Pro, and now I have a 27 inch iMac. <sighs> Wonderful little machines. Well, little. Yeah. The 27 inches, not little, which is why I love it. Massive, massive, massive. Now, uh, this is a Mac household uh, as well. We've got two 24-inch iMacs here, a MacBook Pro, a MacBook Air. Not all of them are running uh, OS X, uh, to be very honest. Uh, one of, <laughs> at least one of them is running Linux, and uh, some of them tend to dual boot when I when I need them to. So... It's very interesting, and, and, and they still excel in, in their quality of hardware. 
Um, but what we're here about today is to talk about the new release of uh, of Apple's OS. Uh, we, we have a, a beautiful, what do you call it? Um, when soccer players do three goals at the same time, uh, in the a same trick. match, a hat trick, that's it. Uh, we have a beautiful hat trick of OS interviews today, and you'll be rounding up number three. Uh, we've talked about uh, Linux and what's wrong with it, uh, Windows. And what's <laughs> I, I really must listen back to that. Yeah, it's a very interesting interview. We had Larry Bushy over. Uh, Windows 8 and what's wrong with it. And uh, now we are going to, this is basically our what's wrong with it. I was going to say, I see a pattern here. Yes, yes, yes. This is our grumpy episode, as you would call it. But we're taking a critical look at, at new OSs and Line is uh, one of them. So um, first we had Leopard, then we had Snow Leopard. Now we have Lion. Is this Leopard Service Pack two? I certainly wouldn't go that far. Um, it's. I think Snow Leopard is very much you know Leopard with some polish. Mm-hmm. And if you go back a step, then Leopard was quite a change from uh, Tiger, which had gone before it, and. In this case, I think it's a big jump. So 10.6 to 10.7, Snow Leopard to Lion is a significant jump. It, a lot of things have changed. It's not one of those OS 10 updates where you're kind of going, you know, you, you reboot after the reinstall and you go, oh, nothing seems to have changed. It's not one of those. Okay. So it's it's reboot and there's something Change. Here. Okay. <laughs> change. Reboot, change. <laughs> You mean you're actually greeted by when you boot into it for the first time a window explaining some of the change, which is the first time I've ever seen Apple do that. And the reason for that is because the scrolling direction has been reversed, which some people will love and some people will hate. Um, my personal take on it is that if you have a flat surface, it will make sense, and your brain will within. I think it took me something like three or four hours, and all of a sudden, what I went is I actually went looking for a utility to reverse scrolling on my MacBook Pro, which is a Core Duo rather than Core Two Duo, so it's not compatible with Lion, mm-hmm. and it just I just couldn't deal with the scrolling being the other way anymore once I'd had it the right way. But if you have a scroll wheel the opposite happens, and it just will never click. It will never make sense. So if you have a scroll wheel, you need to go into your system preferences and reverse, or undo the reversing of the scrolling and reverse it again, uh, or your sanity will be lost. So it really depends on what kind of device you have, whether the natural scrolling is actually natural or not. Okay, well... Let's let's. Uh, I've 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 asked this question to people who try to explain what I call mirror universe scrolling in the Star Trek analogy. Um, mm-hmm. What's normal scrolling? I mean, your finger goes up and the page goes down, and your finger yes. goes down and the page goes up, right? Yeah. So the way I look at it is normal scrolling. You're controlling the scroll bar, and mirror universe scrolling. You're controlling the you're controlling the content. So, so I'm my, my the content is as if it's stuck to my finger and I'm pushing it up and down. Okay, so it's like literally having a piece of paper in your hands and pushing it up to see the bottom and pushing it down to see the top. Yes. Okay. So yeah, so you think of your finger as being connected to the page, not the scroll bar. And then once your brain says, oh, well, I'm just moving the content, it's fine. But if you have a scroll wheel, that never quite works because you're thinking of rotation and you're thinking of a wheel... Yes. turning against a page yes. mentally. Yep, yep. And yep. then it just, it will never click because it's not sensible. Your brain just won't accept it. Whereas if you have a flat surface, I'm using the um, Magic Mouse, 
And and a you know, a magic mouse it makes absolutely perfect sense. And I would imagine if you have a magic trackpad, it's the same. And I know on the laptop where it's just a regular trackpad, it's also the same because there's no rotation, it's just straight movement. And then it clicks straight away. Yeah, and then you go like, okay, I'm sliding stuff down with my fingers here, not rolling uh, a little yes. wheel around. Yes, but if you think of the rolling wheel as being in contact with the page, then your brain will explode because everything's just gone backwards. I think I've, I've, I think I've been there for about seven times or so, going like, different direction. The other thing is, if you're a multi-OS person, I don't think you're going to be very... I don't think it's... If you're going to be spending time in Linux and Windows where the scrolling is not reversed... And then you're switching over and back to the Mac, I think your head will also explode. So there, I think yeah. if you're one of those users, you need to go into system preferences and flip it as well. Yeah, that would be me. Uh, but it, it has uh, it has uh, taken a, a certain amount away from my sanity, but that was already <laughs> in, do- in doubt. So that's not really a, an issue. That's, that's okay. Now, we're, we're talking about gestures and, and strolling, and strolling, strolling, not strolling, scrolling. Uh, we're talking about gestures and, uh, and scrolling and stuff. Well, what else is, is, is new? Because there's a lot of touchy-feely involved with Lion, isn't there? Well, to be honest, the touchy-feely is quite optional. Um, because I'm using the Magic Mouse rather than the Magic Trackpad, I find myself really only using sort of the, the multi-touch for scrolling, obviously, and for swiping between desktops left and right. Mm-hmm. Because that's two fingers. And I don't know what sort of human can get three finger swipes on a small little mouse, but I'm certainly not one of them. So I haven't been using the other swipes. What I've been using is what I've always used, which is hot corners. So normally you would do, I think it's a three finger swipe down to get to the view where you see all of your spaces, whereas I just have the bottom left hot corner. Yeah, so just, just like we did with Expose. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've basically... Because I did an upgrade, most of my settings were retained. So I always had F10 because I'm old-fashioned. That's the way it used to be in old versions of OS X. I never changed. So I've always had F10 as my expose key, and F10 is now my, um, what are they calling it, mission control key. Mm-hmm. And my bottom left hot corner used to be my expose hot corner, and now it's my, uh, uh, I can never remember the name of the blue thing. But it's the new version of expose's hot corner. Mission control. Mission control. Mission. I always mix it up with a launch pad. Yeah, yeah, because there's there's a whole new vocabulary. So there there are some new things to swipe. You have also horizontal swipes, and a lot of are are these basically native iOS um, gestures that are incorporated into the uh, operating system. As I understand that, they're iOS five gestures. Oh. So they're they're okay. So here again, as we 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 discussed in the two previous episodes, we have this merger between uh, this, this kind of symbiosis or, or this, this togetherness of, of uh, iOS, uh, of I, tablet and I wouldn't and describe desktop. it as a merger with Apple's case. I'd say it's more of a harmony. A harmony. They very, I mean, they're not trying to make the Mac be iOS, but they are certainly making it so that whatever learning you acquire on one will help you on the other. So if you, a lot of users come to the Mac through the iDevices, yes. through the iPods and iPads and iPhones. And so I think the idea is that whatever skills they pick up on those devices will carry through into the desktop device. Ah, that that kind of sheds a, an interesting light on the choice why Apple did this, because that was one of the things that personally annoyed me. I thought, like, this is not a tablet device, this is a desktop. If I cannot swipe the screen, why would I swipe desktops on my mouse? I feel, I don't know if if, if, um, if other people have experienced this as well, but I've, I've seen Niana... Um, 
having the MacBook Air on her lap and looking at some pictures and just, you know, pointing at the screen and swiping and going like, oh, yeah, right, this is a laptop. But <laughs> Lion does seem to be ready for that. I, 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 to be honest, I don't think so. Um, I mean, it, like every desktop OS, the, the touch points, the, the sensitive bits are very, very much designed to be clicked by a small little pointy thing, not a big stubby finger. It's one reason that Windows tablets never took off is that fingers and mice are not interchangeable devices. It's really hard to use Windows with your finger. Oh, and so that you're, was a- you're, you're talking about the full Windows, like 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 those terrible tablets that you can buy with yeah. Windows XP on a on a seven inch screen. Yeah, I mean the one I think I mean the one I saw was about the size of an A4 page, but I mean they've been around for a decade. I mean it was you know early two thousands they've had these devices and it never took off because. Windows is not a touch OS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just not your finger is not the size of a mouse, no matter what you try to do. So all those little teeny tiny touch things, I mean, which is easy to hit with a mouse, but it would be very hard to hit with your finger. For a start, your finger blocks your view, so you need to have much bigger touch spaces anyway, just because you can't really see very finely because you can't see through your finger. Mm-hmm. So I, I really don't think Apple are ready, uh, or that they should. Just you know, oh well, we just glum some touch onto OS ten, and then it'll be fine because it won't be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why Apple have gone the route of the multi-touch trackpad being the way that you do your touch on desktops. You also have the fact that, I mean, just try holding up your hand for half an hour. Just hold it up yeah. and see how it feels. Yeah. You, you, blood starts to flow away from it, and it's not really something that is that's easy to do. Plus the fact that you'll get smudge everywhere. I mean, if I look at my iPad, it's like I don't know. It's been licked by by a gorilla or something after a <laughs> half a day of using it. Yeah, it does. I mean, and for some reason, something about whether it's the angle you hold the screen at or something, you don't see the dirt on an iPad until you turn it off, and then you go, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. That Whereas would be uh, that would be different on the screen. On a screen, I see every smudge, and I go, "Don't touch my screen." Um, yeah, yeah it's one of the, if you want to make me annoyed, walk up to me and just point oh, on my Oh, yes. I love users who do that. Like, like this icon here, strict, strict smudge smear. No, Oof, no, drives me mad. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm not a person who thinks that the answer to desktop computing is touch. I, I tend to, I've, I've once done this with uh, somebody who wore glasses. And I had warned her about this, and this was on a laptop screen, and not not with the MacBooks that have the kind of hard glassy uh, screen, but with you know when it was soft plastic stuff. Mm. She would like point and really press, and I would Ooh. you know cringe. So I took her glasses off very gently, and uh, I remember rubbing the glasses of her uh, the, the the lenses of her glasses between my uh, thumbs <laughs> and my fingertips, and really you know greasing it in there. And then just giving it back to her and say, like, there, that's how it feels for me. <laughs> Luckily, yeah, yeah, luck- it was an awkward moment for her, but she never did it again. But there we, go. Uh, we did, we did, uh, you did mention that, uh, you know, uh, Apple's not going to turn the, um, the iOS device uh, or the iOS, sorry, the uh, OS Mac OS or Lion OS mm. into a touch thingy because, uh, you know, you can't control uh, Lion with, uh, with your fingers. But there are, some things in there like the launch pad is that right with these massive icons i mean if you're if you're you've got a 27 inch imac if you're if you launch launch pad on there what the it's it's like gigantic well to be honest i don't launch launch pad 
um, it, it's it's an entirely optional thingy, but it's basically a iOS like layout your icons on a screen. Okay, so I like want, the iOS home screen, and I, you can move them around, and you can make folders, and it, just like iOS. Okay, I want your opinion on this. Why? That's I'll why tell, the, yeah, I'll okay. tell you why. Okay, it's for, it's for Windows users. What? No, seriously. Okay, thinking of family members who have recently moved to the Mac. When you would go to their Windows machine, what you would find on the desktop is little clumps of icons. All my game icons are here. All of my other icons are here. And the desktop was the app launcher. These people would never go to the start menu. They would just double click on the appropriate thing on their desktop. And when you have that mentality, you come to the Mac and you're told you have to either drag and drop stuff into your dock. So you either end up with five million items in the dock and they're all tiny and illegible. Or you end up with them getting very cranky because they have to go to the applications folder, scroll to where they want and double click it. So for those people, what they wanted most was a desktop to put icons on and to be able to organize them into groups. And they're delighted. I know family members who are absolutely over the moon with Launchpad. I think it's the best thing that ever happened to Mac. And then there's people like me who think, yeah, whatever, I just launch all my apps by hitting command space to bring up Spotlight and start typing the first letter or two. True. Same for me. So for me, I just took the icon off the dock, made a little poof sound, and I've never seen it again. The the thing that I, I, I see as being a cross-platform slider is that, you know, uh, Ubuntu Linux is trying to do this as well with the Unity interface. Only um, badly. Only badly. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, badly. Sorry, um, Ubuntu, horrible. It's like it's a dock, only it's not, and it doesn't work right, and it's... it's Oh yeah. So people switched to Mint massively. Um, yeah. Then you go like. Uh, then we have uh, we had Katie Murray on uh, talking about Windows Eight just uh, just a few minutes ago. Mm. Then then you have the Metro interface, which is yet another way of trying to give us a tablet like interface. And then indeed you have Launchpad. I mean, what are what are software developers trying to do to us? Going like prepare for the massive tablet. I, to be honest, I don't get that impression from the Mac. I really do think it's just a case of bring over the learning you already have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, the other thing, if you look at it, you know, I, I really do think that's what it is. It's a case of helping people who come through the iPad halo feel at home. But I, I don't get the impression that, that Apple's idea is to have touchscreen desktops. I, I just, I don't see that. I, I, I think they're too smart to do something so stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then we would have come full circle, and we're back at the uh, the first Windows laptop tablety things. Back. Yeah, which didn't work plainly and patently. And the reason it didn't work is because it didn't have an iOS like thing. Even Microsoft have figured that out, but they've then gone and learned the opposite lesson, which is that desktops should be tablets. Wait. So, so they've gone from the extreme that tablets should be desktops. Yeah. To the extreme that desktops should be tablets. So they've actually just pendulumed right through the middle ground. And over across back to silly land again. Whereas Apple, I really, really get the impression that Steve Jobs understands, as he calls it, the difference between trucks and cars. And the Mac is the truck, and he expects Macs to be much less of them in the world. Because, you know, a lot of people can get by with just an iPad, and it's probably the perfect computer for them. If all you do is check email, chat, and surf the web... You probably like to do it on your couch with a bit of comfort, and you'd probably just grab an iPad. But you know, try programming in an iPad. Nah. Not going to happen. Yeah, it's never going to happen. Not right. Not the right tool for the job. So I get the impression from listening to interviews with Steve Jobs and stuff that Apple understand that there are different computing form factors for different computing tasks and different levels of need, and 
that they will continue to cater for everyone is my the impression I'm getting just from seeing how these things are developing. But they certainly are taking... I think the example I used, which I think you like, is Star Trek. I always... Any, any Star Trek analogy is good. Okay. So if you look at the Star Trek universe, there are computers everywhere. Yes. And they are all different shapes and sizes and depending on what's most appropriate for the job. Yes. So you see data at the back of the bridge and he has this giant, giant, you know, Uber 27-inch iMac. Yes. And then you see other people, say, in the sick bay, have little, what look like laptops on their desk. Yeah. And then you have the little tricorder. Yeah. And you just have computers everywhere, all different shapes. But if you look at them, if you know how to use one, you can use them all. So they have made it so that the paradigm of, you know, sort of the metaphor of the OS follows you through. And so whatever you learn on one, you can learn on the other. And yet they're all different so that they can achieve the appropriate task. So iOS is like, uh, what's it called in Star Trek? The LR, LARC interface? Library Access well, no, not, and Retrieval no, I Control? I iOS is. I think Apple is heading towards a case where skills you learn on one will always transfer to the other. So they're all like Elkars. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have the little tricorder, which has a very minimal version of Elkars. Yep. And then you have Data's giant big screen, which is much different looking and yet similar looking. But it's also Elkars. But it's also Elkars. So, okay. And that's where I think we're going. So different, but notably similar. Yeah. Uh, j- just wanted to point out the, uh, the, the Uber Google in the chat room just called me, just, uh, called me out, said that Elkars Library Computer Access and Retrieval System is the official name. I think it was uh, thought up by Michael Okuda. Uh, for the next generation as a replacement uh, and a very cheap replacement at that Oops, buttons for buttons which which broke buttons broke and and um l cars are just basically uh, black plastic. pieces of plastic with uh, with a neon behind it which is brilliant yeah and oh we need a new interface to do x y or z you just paint it on the back of the glass and stick it back up on the wall yeah it's yeah genius. Uh, but we're completely going down this rat hole i read the technical manual and okay this is going deep deep nerd forgive me <laughs> uh they said that acuda once said in an interview the um the inter the the, the philosophy behind it is to have an interface basing based on what you could do and then yeah. fast forward to the iPad and we're there. Because oh, very much. If you want to play Angry Birds, the interface looks a lot different than if you want to write an email, but it's the same interface. Yeah, and the only there's only one physical button really on the iPad, which is the button to go back to where you started. Yeah. So, and even that in iOS 5, you'll be able to do a five-finger swipe in to sort of crush the app. Good app. Yeah. And that will take you to the home screen. So even that one button becomes an option. So it is actually very Star Trek-like where you have a flat glass panel where the appropriate interface just appears. That's it. Yeah, it's a great gesture. The claws are going like... <laughs> crunch up your paper. I like and then, it. And then toss it. But it's, it's, it's <laughs> Don't all... Don't toss your iPad. It's, <laughs> it's all over the place. Just look at... Um, uh, is this a, is this a, a phase where... Uh, interface technology is following popular culture. I mean, if we talk about uh, interfaces and touch, and and uh, there's always somebody who is going to scream Minority Report. Uh, Only I don't think we're ever going to Minority Report because we don't have arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It has yeah. exactly the same problem as touchscreen desktops, the Minority Report interface. Looks great on film, not yeah. realistic. I think the it, old- would, it would hurt your arms being going, yeah. going like this all the time. 
try it. Just try try it for five minutes. Just standing there in your room looking silly. But you, you know, don't understand why it's a bad idea. It's also not e- not not very easy to work along with other people. Like like let's say for example, you're standing in front of the Minority Report interface. Boom. And the- Tom Cruise is standing next to you. So where his hands are is about where your kneecaps are because yeah. you know, he's not very big. So I don't really see the that work. The only way we could ever get to touch-based desktops is if we end up with computers that are like, do you remember, you know the, the old sort of angled tables that draftsmen used to draw on before they had computers? Yes. So if you had some sort of 27-inch iMac sitting at an angle as a desk that's like a draftsman's desk, that might work. I have one objection. You took it covered in smudge, but no, no, try, try, your arms wouldn't fall off. Yeah, but try placing one of these on the cover. You know. Oh, yeah, sorry. You don't have video. <laughs> I don't have video, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm holding... That's good. Uh, I'm holding up my cup. My, my cup of tea. <laughs> Bunks. Yeah, not a good idea. Now, we talked about the interface at length, um, but there are also other changes in uh, in lion and one of the changes that has sparked a lot of controversy on on on, uh, on on several of the mac podcasts by i wouldn't know who would actually uh incite such controversy they said like oh no no, no idea um osx uh, lion is for dumb people i i don't agree with that it's it's Right. So I think what you're referring to is little things like what Windows have been doing forever, which is hiding the system folders unless you ask to see them. Yes. And yeah. what this has two effects, I guess. So the first effect is that it saves your support time with family because they haven't just put all of their audiobooks in the library folder because books go in libraries, don't they? Yes. Uh, but it does have the slight side effect that power users need to... Well, hold down one extra key, which is the option key, which is something, to be honest, that Power Users and Noah Sand should have been doing forever because the option key unlocks everything. If you want to see the detailed, you know, um, decibels of your Wi-Fi connection, you hold down the option key and you click on the Wi-Fi icon. If you want to see more detail on pretty much anything, you hold down the option key and you click on it. So if you want to see the uh, library folder, you hold down the option key and you go to go. And then it appears and disappears, depending on whether you let go over the key or not. You can leave the menu open and hit the key, and you'll see it appear and disappear, appear and disappear. Or you can do what I've always done, which is um, I've always done Command G and then just start, or sorry, Command Shift G and just start typing tilde L, tilde slash L and tab complete, because you can do tab complete in that dialogue, which is amazing. And then you go straight to tilde library and hit go. So I just do that, you know all with the keyboard, enter, and you're in. That's how I've always done it anyway, uh, because I'm a keyboard person. So, um, it, and you have the terminal. Yeah. I mean, there's a million ways to get there. True, true. Quickly. But so uh, I think your example was that Batman won't be able to find his, safety, his magic button. <laughs> that sounds wrong. Paraphrase. <laughs> yeah, you're paraphrased. Um, I'll, I'll explain. I for a example that came to me as I was listening to, to your last segment on the Nasilicast. Yeah. Um, when you're in a nuclear submarine... Yes. And there's an important button. There's a little red cover over it that you have to flip up and then you can make something blow up. That's yes. what they've done. Just a little little oh. flip up and then hit explode things. Ah, so a kind of a safety cap. A safety cap, precisely. So from my point of view, it hasn't caused me any trouble. And the other thing, of course, you can do, by the way, if it really annoys you, is you can issue a simple shown command to take off the hidden property because it just uses a standard um, OS ten hidden flag. Mm-hmm. And once you take the hidden flag off, it's like, oh, look, there it is. Okay, so you can you can break the plastic cap off and just have you the just buttons. take the plastic cap and throw it in the bin. It's like I don't need that. 
So our operating systems becoming simpler and simpler in order to to address and less technical in order to address a, a broader population who's using them. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's important because desktop computers are intimidating. There's a reason people love the iPad and the iPhone. They're not intimidating, but a lot of aspects of any desktop OS are somewhat intimidating to people. I think the Mac is less intimidating than Windows, but it's still intimidating. And a lot of the problem is that people don't think hierarchically in terms of a file system. It's not a natural way for humans to think. And people don't think to go browsing around their hard drive looking for applications. So I think with Launchpad, which you hate and which I don't use, but which is very unintimidating, and the App Store, I think it's gotten a lot less intimidating. And I, that's a good thing. So if, if, I, if I can paraphrase you, no, Lion hasn't lost its claws, but they're just, retracted. it's just wearing mittens not to hurt anyone. It's retracted them, like a cat can do, just pull them in. Okay, well, that's a good analogy. But it's but, still there. If you scratch a little deeper, if you take the claws out and you scratch a little deeper, they've upgraded the terminal. Oh. Like they've added new functionality into the terminal, so they're really not going down the route of dumbing it down. Mm-hmm. But they are going down the route of saying that people don't have to see this stuff. They can. We haven't taken anything away, but if you don't need to see it, you don't have to. But that 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 uh, leaves the question, is this still a power user's OS, or do power Wait. users have to go the extra mile? Oh, God, God. no, there's no extra mile. Um, I, I switched straight away, and I didn't change my daily workflow. I use Automator a lot. I use Automator to interact with Perl to make Automator run Perl scripts to parse my clipboard and replace it with stuff okay. and all those kind of things. I, I mean, I, I think I count as a power user and it hasn't hindered me at all. So the only thing is that if I want to go into the library, I hold down the option key and then I go in. Okay, okay. I and the, to be honest, there's, there's really nothing else. And if, if anything, uh, a lot of the stuff, like Automator got some tweaks, the terminal got some tweaks. It, and actually the full screen mode, I think, is a wonderful thing as well. So if anything, I'm much, much happier. And I guess the big power feature for me, the one that I was waiting for, is built-in whole disk encryption straight into the OS and really well done built-in disk encryption straight into the OS. So your hard drive's a bunker. My hard drive's a bunker. And what it does, which I think is just wonderful, it just moves your login screen to the BIOS level. And you log in once, which unlocks the encryption key for the disk and logs you into OS X at the same time. Okay. So all that you notice as a user is that the point you log in has moved to before the window where OS X is loading instead of after the window where OS X is loading. And other than that, you see nothing. Okay. But you need, you need juice for that, right? I mean, a core duo, probably not. Katie Murray was on here with a core two duo. I don't know it's, if it's going to cut duo. it. 7-inch iMac's a core two duo. Wait, 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 wait. No, dual core. No, it doesn't work on a dual core, right? It's a core duo it won't work on because oh, a core cool. duo is 32-bit, whereas a core two duo is the 64-bit version of the core duo. That's it. That's it. That's it. And you need muscle? I, you think so? Or, or does it make, just like other uh, OS X upgrades did uh, once in a while, make your old hardware go faster? It's not one of those. Ah. It's not a make your old hardware go faster update. Okay. I'm not sure you need that much muscle. Um, but I don't expect the speed of, so I think actually what it might be sensitive to is RAM, which is something I don't notice anymore because I have 12 gigs of the stuff. Okay, not, not an issue for you indeed. Yeah, I mean, my other, my, I don't have 12 gigs in all my Macs, but uh, my other Lion machine has 4 gigs, and it's 
entirely happy on four gigs. It's really, really not an issue. So uh, is it, is it also uh, what they say? Like you need solid state to make the magic work. I don't think so. I don't have I don't have a single solid state disc other than my iPad. Okay, uh, and it it seems absolutely fine. Where I think you'd struggle with the, the old where you struggle, which is the old MacBook Airs, which are pretty underpowered machines. Yeah. They're not average machines. They are. This is mine. So for the guys in the video stream, you can see it. This is my um, previous generation MacBook Air. So uh, the one with still the the normal, uh, please wait for, as Mr. Gadget said uh, on the Nocilla cast, uh, please wait for paint to dry 4,200 RPM hard drive. Well, I was Uh, just going to say, it's not just that it's a spinning hard drive. It's a slow spinning hard drive. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's it's a slow CPU and it's not very much RAM. And those three things together are just not good. So this is an an underpowered overpriced machine if you pay full price. Well, what you're getting for your money is... A lack of size. You're paying for miniaturization is what you're doing with the old airs. And that's all you were paying for. You wanted something small and light that was good enough to read your email and surf the web. And that's what you got. Yeah. This is Apple's expensive answer to a netbook. Yes. And thankfully, they went, wait a second. If we take out the hard drive and put in this solid state device, we can actually make this teeny tiny little laptop work. You see, yeah. So the, no, the new MacBooks and... oh. Boy, this is gonna this is gonna hurt my visa. I don't. I almost don't dare to ask the question. So the not the the new MacBook Airs are not this. Are not the compromise. No, they're not because they went. To, Intel basically got like their normal chips and managed to shrink them and make them low power and low size. So you're not really compromising in terms of CPU. You're still compromising a bit in terms of RAM. I think it's still two gigs of RAM, but I think you can stick four in if you want, if, if your visa will stretch to it. And you have the solid-state disk, so they actually perform really well. The solid-state disk makes up for the lack of RAM because, oh, no, I'm using soft space, which is not really that slow, so who cares? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm going to round up with asking you the same question that I asked all of my guests. Okay. Where, do you, where do you see us in two years? Will we have a merger of iPads and iMacs and MacBooks and MacBook Airs and, and iOS devices? Will there be uh, will phones and tablets and netbooks and stuff melt together or will there still be distinguished uh, categories? I see them being distinguished categories, but with more similarities. I mean, Apple called the event when they, when they announced Lion back to the Mac. And what they're doing is they're taking the ideas from iOS that are good and bringing them back. So it'll be more tablet-like in the sense that you have apps auto-saving instead of this thinking about the file system, having to go file-save, file-save as, all that kind of stuff. You're going to have more apps taking sort of the iPhoto route and the iTunes route and having you know, the data being part of the app. And then as, I, um, as iCloud kicks in, you're going to find that a lot more of your stuff is just sort of there. So you go into the app on your Mac and you work away and then without thinking, without hitting save, without doing anything, you get up, you walk away, you sit down on another Mac and you continue where you left off. A lot more of that kind of stuff. So a lot more similarities, but at no point is it going to be the one OS for the two if you're a Mac user. Yep, 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 yep. So no merger there. I, I would call it a harmony rather than a merger. Yeah, they're going to yeah. come together and they're going to work better together and sound better together, but they're not going to join. Uh, okay, one more question. Your wildest rumor on iOS 5. I don't really have wild rumors. Okay, I'm not your your rumors. wildest prediction. 
I don't I don't do predictions uh, for, for iOS 5 because we've seen it and you know all the rumor mill knows what's going on anyway there's nothing I don't think there's anything major sort of going to come out that we haven't been told about except that the wire is going to go away you, yeah we've been told about that so that's not yeah, a okay. rumor yeah but that, that, it's a that, big deal that's a big deal so oh, it's a huge deal and the other big deal just I mean that security is something that is always on my mind because when you admin servers if it's not you're going to end up with servers that are hacked very quickly mm-hmm. Um, is that iOS at the moment is really hard for Apple to update because it's monolithic. So if they want to change one letter from an uppercase to a lowercase in the OS somewhere, they have to give you the entire OS. There is no ability to do Delta updates in the iOS 4 way of doing things. Mm. With iOS one, 5, not one, only are we losing the wire, so you don't have to plug it into your Mac to update it, but we're yeah. getting Delta updates. So if Apple want to make a change of one letter, it'll be like a 2K update. Oh, so no more 4.0.2, this is a 700 meg download updates. There might still be a few of those when they make big changes, like there are with OS X. You have some big updates, some little updates. But little things will be little updates, and big things will be big updates. Amazing. Uh, when are we, ex- are we getting it? I think October 5th or October 15th? If I were a guessing man, I would say the 5th. Okay. So that's a guess. I don't know. Bart, uh, I want to thank you for coming on to uh, KWTV Live. It's been an absolute honor to have you because you are one of the podcasters that I admire. Uh, you are a fellow countryman and you are a connoisseur of many things, including OSX. And always nice to have a deep, deep expert on the show. Um, if people are curious about you, where are the places on the interwebs where they can find you? Uh, it's very simple. Just go to bartb.ie and everything's listed from there that I care about. Okay, so next podcast appearance for you will be on the. It will be IMP this weekend, which the date hasn't been set. We're a bit. F- we basically we record live sometime over the weekend, which is Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Sometimes Thursday, sometimes Monday. Uh, so not Tuesday or Wednesday, basically. Um, and so if you follow IM Podcast on Twitter, we'll tweet out when the show is going live, or you can just subscribe on iTunes and you'll get it when it's ready. But we, you know, people like the live thing, they like getting in the chat room and stuff. So if you want to be live, follow us on Twitter. You'll see when we're on. And then you go to iampodcast.tv forward slash live. You can listen along, you can chat in the chat room, all the usual stuff. Okay. Hey, Bart, thank you very, very much for coming on uh, KWTV. It's been an absolute pleasure having you, and uh, I hope we uh, can have you on soon, uh, pretty soon, once again. Okay. Well, I certainly would like to be back on. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you in the voice instead of over the typey-typey. Is this actually the first time that we've been on a podcast together? Didn't you help me out when Alison was away and do a chit-chat across the pond with me? Did we? I think we did many years ago, Ooh. before Katie started being good ah. and taking up from Alison when she yes. went on holidays. Yes, that Katie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, Bart. Uh, I hope to see you again soon. And uh, we'll. Uh, uh, the chat room says hi. They uh, absolutely yep. adore the interview. So you can also join in if you want to, nightwise.com slash nightlife, uh, and uh, meet the people that are watching us live right now. And uh, we're going to move on to our next guest, who is already in the, uh, what do you call it? The sidelines? Warming up? Yeah. The green room? The green room. Who's already in the the virtual green room? Wow, that's it. We have a virtual green room. Who's already waiting for us in the green room? Green room. Bart, thank you very much for coming along, and uh, we'll see you soon, okay? Absolute pleasure. Good luck. Bye. The Nightcast www.knithtwise.com
Okay, that was a pretty long show, but you know, uh, interviews, interesting stuff, and I hope you really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to keep the sign out very, very short and very, very sweet. You know how to get in touch with us. Feedback at nightwise.com or subscribe to the Nightcast in iTunes if you haven't done so, or use the nightwise.com media feed and subscribe to our podcast. I do have some feedback in the feedback box, but we are a little, little, little short for time this week, so I'll keep it all till next week when we return with another Nightcast or KWTV. I'm not really sure which one I'm going to do first. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Don't forget, you can be a part of the uh, following KWTV live series on October 21st from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. GMT plus one over at www.nightwise.com slash nightlive. There will also be a Google Hangout if I get it working by then. And of course, our favorite IRC channel on irc.freenode.net. And the hashtag is hash KWTV live. But uh, you don't have to be an IRC wizard. Just go to nightwise.com slash nightlife and we'll have a little chat window for you guys and girls there as well. So if uh, you enjoyed this episode, please let me know. And if you want to attend the next uh, episode of KWTV live, now you know where to go. One little piece of community news, October 23rd will be the day that we will go to the Facts Convention in Ghent. Belgium, which is Belgium's biggest cosplay expo. We are still waiting for press tickets, but they have been promised and should be in the mail. We will be there with a press crew of four featuring the uh, talented Stefan Lesage, Conrad Voyak, uh, Niana, and me, and of course some other Nightwise.com fans who can, uh, you know, join in the fun and be in uh, Belgium's biggest cosplay expo and walk uh, the show floor and talk to interesting people and hang out with other Nightwise.com fans. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll see you guys in the next episode. And until then, let technology work for you. Bye-bye. Thanks for coming to the edge of real and cyberspace. You have been listening to the Nightcast. Send your feedback, questions, promos, or rants to nightwise at nightwise.com or Skype us on Nightwise. For more information, visit the site on www.nightwise.com or look for us in iTunes by searching for the Nightcast. Please remember, there's a real world beyond cyberspace, but it's not all that important. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.